0: welcome to reformed in public please visit our show notes page at anchor.fm forward slash reformed in public we continue with the reading of the rare jewel of christian contentment by jeremiah burroughs this work is considered public domain two but now for particular promises in the covenant of grace a gracious heart looks upon every promise as coming from the root of the great covenant, the grace in Christ. Other men look upon some particular promises that God will help them in straits and keep them and the like. But they do not look at the connection of such particular promises to the root, the covenant of grace. Christians miss a great deal of comfort when they might have from the particu- which they might have from the particular promises in the Gospel, if they would consider their connection to the root, the great covenant that God has made with them in Christ. In the times of the law, they might rest more upon outward promises than we can in the time of the Gospel. I gave you the reason why we who live in the times of the Gospel cannot depend so much on a literal fulfillment of the outward promises that we find in the Old Testament as they could in the time of the Law. But there was a special covenant that God pleased to call a new covenant, by way of distinction from the other covenant, that is made with us in Christ for eternal life. So. Even the law was given to them in a more peculiar way for an external covenant of outward blessings in the land of Canaan, and so God dealt with them in a more external covenant than He does now with His people. Yet godliness has the promise of this life, and that which is to come. We may make use of the promises for this life, but yet not so much to rest upon the literal performance of them as they of old might. But God will make them good in some way or other, in a spiritual way, if not in an outward way. We must lay no more upon outward promises than this, and therefore if we lay more, we make the promise to bear more than it will bear. To give some examples, to believe fully and confidently that the plague shall not come nigh a certain house, is, I say, to lay more upon such a promise than it will bear. If you remember, I opened that promise in Psalm 91. Now, if I had lived in the time of the law perhaps i might have been somewhat more confident of the literal performance of the promise than i can be now in the time of the gospel the promise now bears no more than this that god has a special protection over his people and that he will deliver them from the evil of such an affliction And, if he does bring such an affliction, it is more than an ordinary providence, it is a special providence that God has in it. I thought I would give you several promises for the contentment of the heart in the time of affliction. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, Thou shalt not be burnt, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee isaiah forty three two certainly, though this promise was made in the time of the law, it will be made good to all the saints now, one way or another one way or other, either literally or in some other way. For we find clearly that the promise that was made to Joshua, I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee, Joshua 1.5, is applied to Christians in the time of the gospel. So, here is the way of faith in bringing contentment by the promises. The saints of God have an interest in all the promises that ever were made to our forefathers. From the beginning of the world they are their inheritance and go on from one generation to another. By that they have come to contentment because they inherit all the promises made in all the book of God. Hebrews 13.5 shows this plainly that it is our inheritance and we do not inherit less now than they did in, the time, in Joshua's time. But we inherit more. For you will find in that place of Hebrews that more is said than is to Joshua. To Joshua, God says he will not leave him nor forsake him. But in this place in Hebrews, in the Greek, there are five negatives. I will not, 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 not not again that is the force of it in the greek i say there are five negatives in that little sentence as if god should say i will not leave you no i will not i will not i will not with such earnestness five times together so that not only have we the same promises that they had but we have them more enlarged and more full, though still not so much in the literal sense, for that indeed is the least part of the promise. In Isaiah 54.17, God made a promise that no weapon formed against his people should prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against them in judgment they shall condemn. And mark what follows. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. This is a good promise for a soldier, though still we ought not to lay too much upon the literal sense. True it holds forth thus much that God's protection is in special manner over the soldier that are godly, and every tongue shall and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is against false witness too. O you, whose friends never left you anything, you will say my friends died and did not leave me a groat, but I thank God he has provided for me. Though your father or mother died and left you no inheritance, you have an inheritance in the promise. This is their heritage, so that there is no godly man or woman, but is a great heir. Therefore, when you look into the book of God, and find any promise there, you may make it your own, just as an heir who rides over a lot of fields and meadows says, This meadow is my inheritance, and this cornfield is my inheritance. And then he sees a fine house and says, This fine house is my inheritance. He looks at them with a different eye from a stranger who rides over those fields. A carnal heart reads the promises and reads them merely as stories. Not that he has any great interest in them. But every time a godly man reads the scriptures, remember this when you are reading the scripture, and there meets with a promise he ought to lay his hand upon it and say, this is part of my inheritance, it is mine, and I am to live upon it. This will make you contented. It is a mysterious way of getting contentment, and there are several other promises that bring contentment, Psalm 34.10, I- thirty-seven six, Isaiah 58.10, so much for the mystery of contentment by way of the covenant. There are two or three things more that show how a godly man has contentment in a mysterious way different from any carnal heart in the world. As follows, 14. He has contentment by realizing the glorious things of heaven to him. He has the kingdom of heaven. As present, and the glory that is to come, by faith he makes it present. So the martyrs had contentment in their sufferings, for some of them said, Though we have but a hard breakfast, yet we shall have a good dinner. We shall very soon be in heaven. But we shall very soon be in heaven. Do not but shut your eyes, said one, and you shall be in heaven at once. We faint not, says the Apostle, 2 Corinthians four, sixteen. 16, why, because these light afflictions that are but for a moment work for us, a far more exceeding and, and eternal weight of glory. They see heaven before them, and that contents them, when you sailors see the haven before you, though You were mightily troubled before you could see any land. Yet when you come near the shore and can see a certain landmark that contents you greatly, a godly man in the midst of the waves and storms that he meets with can see the glory of heaven before him and so contents himself. One drop of the sweetness of heaven is enough to take away all the sourness and bitterness of all the afflictions in the world. We know that one drop of sourness, or one drop of gall, will make bitter a great deal of honey. But a spoonful of sugar into a cup of gall or wormwood, put a spoonful of sugar into a cup of gall or wormwood, and it will not sweeten it. But if you put a spoonful of gall into a cup of sugar, it will embitter that. Now it is otherwise in heaven. One drop of sweetness will sweeten a great deal of our sour affliction. But a great deal of sourness and gall will not embitter a soul who sees the glory of heaven that is to come. A carnal heart has no contentment, but from what he sees before him in the world. But a godly heart has contentment from what he sees laid up for him in the highest heavens. 15. The last thing that I would mention is this. A godly man has contentment by opening a letter out of his out his, his heart to God. Sorry, a godly man has contentment by opening and letting out his heart to God. Other men... Or women are discontented but how do they help themselves by abuse by bad language someone crosses them and they have no way to help themselves but by abuse and by bitter words and so they relieve themselves in that way when they are angry but when a godly man is crossed how does he relieve himself he is aware of his cross as well as you but he goes to God in prayer and there opens his heart to god and lets out his heart and lets out his sorrows and fears and there he opens his heart to god and lets out his sorrows and fears and then can come away with a joyful countenance do you find that you can come away from prayer and not look sad it is said of hannah that when she had been at prayer her countenance was no more sad was no more sad first samuel 118 she was comforted this is the right way to contentment thus we have done with the mystery of contentment now if you can but put these things together that we have spoken of, you may see fully what an art Christian contentment is. I believe we now begin chapter 3. The title is, How Christ Teaches Contentment. Contentment is not such a poor business as many make it. They say, you must be content, and so on. But Paul needed to learn it, and it is a great art and mystery of godliness to be content in a christian way and it will be seen to be even more of a mysterious of a mystery when we come to show what lessons a gracious heart learns when it learns to be contented i have learned to be contented what lessons have you learned Take a scholar who has great learning and understanding in arts and sciences. How did he begin? He began, as we say, his ABC, and then afterwards he came to his testament and bible and accident, and so to his grammar, and afterwards to his other books. Accidents, the part of grammar dealing with inflections. That is the definition of accidents, I guess. So, a Christian coming to contentment is as a scholar in Christ's school. And there are many lessons to teach the soul, to bring it to this learning. Every godly man or woman is a scholar It cannot be said of any Christian that he is illiterate, but he is literate, a learned man, a learned woman. Now the lessons that Christ teaches to bring us to contentment are these, one, the lesson of self-denial. It is a hard lesson. You know that when a child is first taught, he complains, this is hard. It is just like that. When I... I remember Bradford the martyr said, whoever has not learned the lesson of the cross has not learned his ABC in Christianity. This is where Christ begins with his scholars, and those in the lowest form must begin with this. If you mean to be Christians at all, you must buckle to this, or you can never be a Christian. Just as no one can be a scholar unless he learns his abc so you must learn the lesson of self-denial or you can never become a scholar in christ's school that is the first lesson that christ teaches any soul self-denial which brings contentment which brings down and softens a man's heart you know how when you strike something soft it makes no noise but if you strike a hard thing it makes a noise so with the hearts of men who are full of themselves and hardened with self-love if they receive a stroke they make a noise but a self-denying christian yields to god's hands god's hand and makes no noise when you strike a wood slat, a wool slack it makes no noise because it yields to the stroke so a self-denying heart yields to the stroke and thereby comes to this contentment now there are several things in this lesson of self-denial i will not under i will not enter into the doctrine of self-denial but only show you how christ teaches self-denial and how that brings contentment one such a person learns to know that he is nothing He comes to this to be able to say, Well, I see I am nothing in myself. That man or woman who indeed knows that he or she is nothing and has learned it thoroughly will be able to bear anything. The way to be able to bear anything is to know that we are nothing in ourselves. God says to us, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? Proverbs 23.5 Speaking of riches, Why, blessed God, do not you do so? You have set your heart upon us, and yet we are nothing. God would have set our hearts upon riches, because they are nothing. And yet, God is pleased to set his heart upon us, and we are nothing. That is God's grace. Free grace, and therefore, it does not much matter what I suffer, for I am as nothing. 2. I deserve nothing. I am nothing, and I deserve nothing. Suppose I lack this and that thing which others have. I am sure that I deserve nothing except it be hell you will answer any of your servants who is not content i wonder what you think you deserve or your children do you deserve it that you are so eager to have it you would stop their mouths thus and so we may easily stop our own mouths we deserve nothing and therefore why should we be impatient if we do not get what we desire if we have deserved if we had deserved anything we might be troubled as in the case of a man who has deserved well of the state or of his friends yet does not receive a suitable reward it troubles him greatly whereas if he is conscious that he has deserved nothing he is content with a rebuff i can do nothing Christ says, without me you can do nothing. Why should I make much of it to be troubled at discontent and discontented if I had not got this and that? When the truth is that I can do nothing. If you were to come to one who is angry because he has not got such food as he desires and is discontented with it you would answer him I marvel what you do or what you use you I marvel what you do or what use you are should one who will sit still and be of no use yet for all that have all the supply that he could possibly desire Do but consider of what use you are in the world, and if you consider what little need God has of you, and what little use you are. You will not be much discontented, if you have learned this lesson of self-denial. Though God cuts you short of certain comforts, yet you will say, Since I do but little, why should I have much? This thought will bring down a man's spirit as much as anything. For I am so vile that I cannot of myself receive any good. I am not only an empty vessel, but a corrupt and unclean vessel, that would spoil anything that comes into it. So are all our hearts, every one of them is not only empty of good. Is like a musty bottle that spoils even good liquor that is poured into it. 5. If God cleanses us in some measure and puts into us some good liquor, some grace of His Spirit, Yet we can make use of nothing when we have it. If God but withdraws himself, if God leaves us one moment after he has bestowed upon us the greatest gifts, and whatever abilities we can desire, if God should say, I will give you them, now go and trade, we cannot progress one foot further if God leaves us. Does God give us gifts and abilities? Then let us fear and tremble, lest God should leave us to ourselves. For Then how f- foully should we abuse those gifts and abilities? You think other men and women have memory and gifts and abilities, and you would fain have them. But suppose God should give you these, and then leave you. You would utterly spoil them. 6. We are worse than nothing. By sin, we become a great deal worse than nothing. Sin makes us more vile than nothing, and contrary... To all good. It is a great deal worse to have a contrariety to all that is good than merely to have an emptiness of all that is good. We are not empty pitchers in respect of good, but we are like pitchers filled with poison. And is it much for such that we are to be cut short of outward comforts? 7. If we perish, we will be no loss. If God should annihilate me, what loss would it be to anyone? God can raise up someone else in my place to serve him in a different way. Now, put just these, several, put just these seven things together, and then Christ has taught you self-denial. I may call these several words in our lesson of self-denial. I may call these the seven words in our lesson of self-denial. Christ teaches the soul this, so that as in the presence of God on a real sight of itself, it can say, Lord, I am nothing. Lord, I deserve nothing. Lord, I can do nothing. I can receive nothing and can make no and can make use of nothing. I am worse than nothing, and if I come to nothing and perish, I will be no loss at all, and therefore is it such a great thing for me to be cut short here. A man who is little in his own eyes will account every affliction as little, and every mercy as great. Consider Saul. There was a time, the scripture says, when he was little in his own eyes, and then his affliction and then his afflictions were but little to him. When some would not have had him to be king, but spoke contemptuously of him, he held his peace. But when Saul began to be big in his own eyes, then the affliction began to be great to him. There was never any man or woman so contented as a self-denying man or woman. No one ever denied himself as much as Jesus Christ did. He gave his cheeks to the smiters. He opened not his mouth. He was as a lamb when he was led to the slaughter. He made no noise in the street. He denied himself above all and was willing to empty himself. And so he was the most contented and ever that ever any was in the world, and the nearer we come to learning to deny ourselves as Christ did, the more contented shall we be, and by knowing much of our own vileness, we shall learn to justify God. Whatever the Lord shall lay upon us, yet he is righteous, for he has to deal with a most wretched creature. A discontented heart is a troubled is troubled because he has no more comfort. But a self-denying man rather wonders that he has as much as he does. Oh, says the one, I have but a little. I, says the man, who has learned this lesson of self-denial, but I rather wonder that God bestows upon me the liberty of breathing in the air, knowing how vile I am, and knowing how much sin the Lord sees in me, and that is the way of contentment, by learning self-denial. 8. But there is a further thing in self-denial which brings contentment. Thereby the soul comes to rejoice and take satisfaction in all God's ways. I beseech you to notice this. If a man is selfish and self-love prevails in the in his heart, he will be glad of those things that suit with his own ends. But a godly man who has denied himself will suit with and be glad of all things that shalt, that shall suit with God's ends. A gracious heart says, God's ends are my ends, and I have a and i have denied my own ends so he comes to find contentment in all god's ends and ways and his comforts are multiplied whereas the comforts of other men are single it is a very rare it is very rare that god's ways it is very rare that god's way shall suit with a man's particular end but always God's ways suit with his own ends. If you will only have contentment when God's ways suit with your own ends, you cannot have it only now, you can have it only now and then. But a self-denying man denies his own ends and only looks at the ends of God, and therein he is contented. When a man is selfish, he cannot but have a great deal of trouble and vexation. For if I regard myself, my ends are so narrow that a hundred things will come and jostle me, and I cannot have room in those narrow ends of my own. You know in the city what a great deal of stir there is in narrow streets, since Thames Street is so narrow. They jostle and wrangle and fight one with another because the place is so narrow but in a broad street they can go quietly. Similarly, men who are selfish meet and so jostle with one another. One man is for self in one thing and another man is for self in another thing. And so they make a great deal of stir, but those whose hearts are enlarged and make public things their ends and can deny themselves. Have room to walk and never jostle with one another as others do. The lesson of self-denial is the first lesson that Jesus Christ teaches men who are seeking contentment.